watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here, Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to a special episode of the Binge Movie Podcast, in which usually a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases, but uh, but this week we're doing a little different. This is Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we are doing one uh, deep dive into uh, the new Louis C.K. movie, which maybe you'll never see, I Love You Daddy. And we're joined today with uh, a friend of the show who we've referred to many times um, that she has no idea about. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, a woman who needs no introduction, Ingu Kang. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Ingu. Welcome hey, to welcome. the show. Hello. I'm straight and I'm in here to invade your podcast. Excellent. Thank you. Heterosexuality. Thank you for invading our space. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about you, what you do, where you're from. I'm a freelance film and TV critic. Uh, right now, I'm writing a lot about technology and culture at Slate, um, and I'm also doing reviews at The Wrap and The Hollywood Reporter, et cetera, et cetera. Excellent. Yes, and uh, Ingu is a colleague of mine in the San Francisco Film Critics Circle. And, uh, and that is why we were able to watch this movie. So as you guys may or may not have heard, uh, I Love You Daddy uh, was dropped by its distributor, The Orchard, uh, just days after the New York Times bombshell story uh, in which several women came forward and accused Louis C.K. of, uh, of masturbating in front of them. Uh, and some of which experience professional repercussions in addition to the, of course, psychological repercussions of mm-hmm. that. Uh, and Louis C.K. then, of course, said that they were true stories. And so the orator dropped the movie, but not before. And I feel like it must have been literally 24 <laughs> hours before <laughs> they included it in their bundle of award season screeners. Yeah, it has all the like for your consideration listings in the screener. Um, you know, they were like, well, at least we didn't send those screeners out. And then some intern was like, <laughs> I was trying to get a promotion oh. by really being on it and sending out those screeners. To be that intern. Uh, if you're an intern out there, never, ever do your job competently. Let this be a lesson to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's the takeaway. That's the takeaway from all of this, really. Uh, and so we were able to watch this movie, and uh, and Rebecca and I have, have just come from watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ingo, did you watch it this morning? I did. Okay, so we all just watched it today. It's fresh. And, uh, and so what we would like to do... Unlike it, the movie. <laughs> it's fresh. So what we would like to do is first tell you guys everything that happens in the movie since there's a very good chance that it will never see the light of day. Uh, I don't know how it would even... Unless Louis C.K. just like gave it away for free or something. On his website. On yeah. his website, which maybe sometime later after the dust has settled more, he might do. But it's hard to say. We can only speculate. Is this. that even up to him, though? Would it be up to, like, Orchard? I don't know or... who owns the rights to it, yeah. I don't know um, how that works. He might be able to buy the rights back. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Although, as you'll find out as we get more into the movie, there are a lot of reasons why he could conceivably never want anyone to see this know. movie. I I feel like the fact that he made this movie in the first place, knowing what he knows about his life, that wouldn't be a factor. Well, but now everyone else knows about his life. Yeah. Okay, let's talk okay, about yes. what happened. Okay. I Love You Daddy, first of all, is uh, shot in black and white, and uh, there's a lot of stylistic choices to, to evoke old Hollywood, particularly the score, uh, which offsets some of the perverseness a bit. So Louis C.K. Um, plays a man named Glenn, who is like a TV show creator, writer, and he has a 17-year-old daughter named China, played by Chloe Grace Moretz. Mm-hmm. As the film begins, he's having a, uh, a tense lunch meeting with his ex-wife, who's played by Helen Hunt. 
uh, in which uh, it, it comes out that the daughter wants to, uh, that China wants to spend uh, her remaining time of her like 17th year with her father, with Glenn. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we also see Glenn's professional life. We see Glenn at his office where he has uh, an actor played by Charlie Day who is a sort of a very gregarious, um, gross uh, comic actor. And as well as his uh, Louis' primary or Glenn's primary uh, production partner, who's played by Edie Falco. Uh, so in the professional storyline, Glenn is getting ready to launch a new TV show that's been ordered a series, but he doesn't really know very much about what he wants it to be yet. Mm-hmm. And so they're behind schedule. And, uh, and Edie Falco's character is very stressed about all of that. So because... the reason why everyone has heard of this movie, basically, is not only because it got canceled, but because the movie revolves around Glenn's feelings about his daughter, his 17-year-old daughter, uh, dating a 68-year-old auteur, like a very famed auteur, who oh. is obviously Woody Allen. Um, and an alleged pedophile. Yes. In the uh, movie, that's what he's primarily known for. And he's played very devilishly mm-hmm. by John Malkovich. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so basically a lot of the movie is about him dealing with his feelings about like, well, I love this man. This man means everything to me. I've modeled my entire career around wanting to be this man. But how do I feel about him dating my daughter? And there's, and there's some ambiguity over the nature of the relationship between John Malkovich and China. Uh, it, it all The reason that they even come into each other's orbits is because of a, of a famous actress played by Rose Byrne uh, who, uh, who expresses her interest in being the lead in, in, in Louis' uh, new show. And uh, which whenever, <laughs> just before her entrance, there is a moment that is um, mm. the first time when you're watching the movie in the light of the revelations that your jaw just hits the floor. Uh, so whenever Edie Falco sort of announces that the, that the Rose Burns character is coming in, Charlie Day, from where he's seated on a couch, begins to simulate masturbation. And he does it for a very, very, very long time, very vigorously. Like maybe two minutes. And, yeah, mm-hmm. like two full minutes. And they're sitting in an office. And Edie Falco comes in, and he continues to do it in front of her uh, as she is, like, looking at him. And she never says anything, uh, but just knowing that at least one of the stories about Louis C.K. involved him doing it in his, like, TV production office, I believe, uh, is, uh, hmm. yeah, it is, it's, 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 yeah, it's the first of several moments where you're like, what? And I mean, it definitely felt like what before that. Like, I feel like the, the, one of the first scenes where you're introduced to Chloe Grace Moritz's character, you know, she, she shows up as this uh, nubile, beautiful woman in a bikini. Um, and then immediately after she follows this Charlie Day character, who's basically just like um, Louis C.K.'s id, yeah, um, yeah. just talking in these really exaggerated, gross stories about what kids do on spring break. So mm-hmm. he's like speaking very graphically about um, you know this character's daughter in front of him about like what they do and how they get naked and fuck each other on spring break. So I feel like from there I was already like, okay, well this is this is where we're at with this movie. So. What really struck me while I was watching this was that it basically felt like a two-hour episode of Louie. Yeah. Um, I think mostly because it felt to me very much like a parenting story. To For Glenn, it's clear that like the most 
um, the most important person in his life is his daughter. And a lot of this uh, question is about, well, like, am I a good father? And Pamela Adlon, who plays Sam, Sam mm-hmm. on Louis, mm-hmm. uh, as a love interest, comes here as like a former love interest, as an ex-girlfriend who still has a pretty good relationship with Chloe Moritz's character. And basically is basically his super ego right like constantly mm-hmm. telling him like just because you're indulging her whims or just because you're not judging her doesn't mean doesn't make you a good father and so a lot of the movie is about whether he's a good father or not or what makes a good father because he especially once she starts dating john malkovich's lech character it's about like how do i respect my daughter while also protecting her um, and so that's like a big part of the movie. Uh, it's really, I think that one of the things that the movie is really doing is looking at all of these uh, sexual harassment cases from a, like, what if this happened to my daughter mm-hmm. point of view. Um, I think the references to Louis Allen, Woody Allen, <laughs> <laughs> Manhattan are really obvious. Mm-hmm. And so it's just taking the perspective of like, well, if this teenager was like my daughter, like, how would I deal with this particular scenario? I don't know. I yeah. felt like the main character or the... You you mentioned that his number one focus is being a good father. I, f- I feel like his number one focus is himself because it's not really in, about being invested in his daughter or his daughter's interests or well-being or anything. It's about being liked, being liked by his daughter, being liked by this movie actress, being liked by John Malkovich's character as someone he looks up to as a writer. He's It's really a very selfish character who just that's... wants to be a good father and t- because he wants to be a good father, not because he cares about her in some overwhelming way. But I think that's part of like how Louis Louis C.K. always writes his own characters. They're always these like performatively self-flagellating characters. And I don't think it's a coincidence that like there's a variety of women in this movie who are constantly telling him you're a sack of shit or like you're mm-hmm. a bad person or whatever. You're disgusting. Which, which at this yes, point just disgusting. feels like it's his fetish. Yes, that's exactly what it feels like right. when you watch this movie. Mm-hmm. And so there's a there's it's weird because um, I mean we can get into later about like how we all feel about like Louis C.K. But one of the things that always sort of put me off about Louis the TV show was that in pretty much every episode he frames himself as like the most sympathetic woke mm-hmm. guy, mm-hmm. but also like he sort of humiliates himself at the same time Mm -hmm. and so you see that very dynamic working out here Mm -hmm. where he wants to be told on screen i mean that it's what it's that's what that feels like like he wants to be told by other women like oh you're terrible you're disgusting Mm -hmm. and at the same time he sort of gets to be the hero because he has this big epiphany about like how he should prioritize his daughter more. And I also think it, it doesn't work here at all because you end up spending two hours watching the main character of this movie do absolutely nothing. Like in every scene, it's him just being like having no agency, like just just sort of reacting to everything in the wrong, in the worst way and just, just being like berated um, or uh, ashamed constantly. So like he doesn't do anything. Every scene is is exactly the same. It's just him almost being at a loss for words, finally getting something out, and then it's it's usually the wrong thing. Yeah, because so much of the movie is about like the 
female sexual power and he's just like this helpless guy and you mm -hmm. know he's just mm -hmm. like this vulnerable lamb while all of these like other women are yelling at him and like doing and taking charge of situations which, which is like i have to say is like also feels a little pathological absolutely. after these allegations mm -hmm. just because you're like Ugh. so it's funny that you say pathological because i feel like if this movie does see the light of day and, and people see it the only reason to see this movie is that it feels like um, like listening to like a true crime podcast where you're like, <laughs> it's like reading the letters that like, uh, like a serial killer sends to the police. You're like, like, this is like a weird kind of like, if you look at doing right. a study of like a, a sexual yeah. predator, mm -hmm. it's interesting in that way. Mm. And like, wow, he really did well, not think that anyone would like put the connections together. And this is like so fucked up. And in some ways it feels like he, that thing that also the criminals do where they like put out clues yeah, constantly. Uh, because whenever uh, in the scene in the film where uh, the where uh, Glenn first meets John Malkovich's character, um, it's at Rose Burns' uh, glamorous house party. Oh, his right. daughter's in tow, and um, when uh, and Glenn's like bummed out because it's all young Hollywood people, and he's like, I don't care. But then he sees John Malkovich sort of skulking in a corner by himself, and he starts to f just fangirl out. He's like, Oh my god, oh my god, it's him, it's him, it's him. And uh, and China, his daughter, is like, Dad, you know he's a total child molester. And then the things that Glenn says mm -hmm. here are so... Th this movie, if Louis C.K. himself had not become a major player in this moment, this movie would be the, the movie of the moment in so many ways because it is about these, these huge, powerful, disgraced, predatory men in entertainment. And so Louis Glenn says to his daughter... Those are stories. Those are stories. Do you know? How do you know that that happened? Mm -hmm. Those are stories. And, you know, like, you were you there? You didn't see it. I don't know anything I don't see. You Just because you hear a story doesn't make it true. And that is, like, word for word what he said at, I believe, at TIFF, whenever um, the New York Times asked him at the press conference for I Love You, Daddy, about what Tig Notaro had, uh, had implied. Because at that point, it was... On her TV show. Right. And and, uh, and then also in, in interviews, I think. Um, and he was like, uh, you know, where, what am I going to do? Talk about stories? I'm not going to talk about stories. Rumors. But yeah, rumors, rumors. So again, it's like pathological that he puts his exact language in this movie. And this also feels like that thing that you see... Um, when you have like politicians who are like um, rabidly like trying to enforce legislation that's anti-gay, um, and then you find out that they're like um, closeted. Yeah, let's say you're gonna make this. You're really making this whole movie to try to like say shit about Woody Allen when like you have your own thing that's like right there. So like he's so trying to put the blame on somebody else um, in a way that's almost uh, it's cr it's crazy to think he made this movie like with that in with that intention when you when you have like a skeleton so close in your closet. I also, I mean, like, I don't want to take away, excuse this word, but, like, it's the right word. I don't want to take too much away from the artistry of the movie. He obviously crafts a particular story. Um, I think something I found really smart about the movie is that he has, Louis C.K., has obviously spent a lot of time psychoanalyzing Woody Allen. And I thought that maybe, like, the best, well, the best written character in the movie was John Malkovich's character because so much of it is about sort of giving a kind of motivation or depth to a six-year-old who is constantly chasing after teenagers and thinking about like why would this be the case like why would this man want this and you know the answers that Louis C.K. comes up with are not pretty but I think it's also I, 
I don't know, like, I guess I just keep coming back to this word pathological, that even as he is burying his hero, he can't help but have his hero praise him. Mm -hmm, Because mm -hmm. at the end of the movie, um, John Malkovich's character says something like, you know, like, you're the person who inspired me to come to TV and try out this medium I had never had before, that I had never uh, experimented in before, because like your TV show was so great. And it reminded me of like what I really hated about Woody Allen's Midnight in Paris, because basically mm. in Midnight in Paris, you have the Woody Allen character played by Owen Wilson go and meet all of Woody Allen's like heroes. Mm-hmm like Henry James, and then all of those... Sorry, Henry Miller. Henry Miller and um, Gertrude Stein. Mm -hmm. And they're all like, wow, like you're an amazing writer. And and it's funny because it's just like that exact pattern that you see in I Love You, Daddy. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, um, writing flattery of himself into yes. into even even right down to Roseburn playing who everyone describes as a you know glamorous gorgeous A-list actress who at one point in the film tells him that she booked a meeting for the TV show so she could fuck him. So right. so he's meant to be very desirable. He's meant to be very desirable which is which doesn't really track with Not what we see. Not physically desirable but like artistically like a dynamo. Right. And mm. uh and the, and uh there's a there's a post-coital argument between the two of them during which Louis CK is very sweaty. Very distracting. Um, was. And uh in which it's one of several moments in the movie where Louis CK basically like mansplains um uh, uh, female experiences to women. Uh earlier in the mm-hmm. film he um he, there's a very Aaron Sorkin-y moment where uh, where China sort of explains her concept of feminism so that Louis C.K. can laugh at how wrong it is. And it's basically all about, like, sexuality. And because um, they're watching a film starring Rose Byrne's character. And, uh, and, and I think China explains it to him. She's like, you know, men have been fucking women forever. And now it's time for women to do the fucking of men. And that's what feminism is. And so for Louis C.K. to write this scene in which his fictional daughter, like, misstates feminism so that he can explain to her what feminism really means is one thing. Then later in the film, Rose Byrne's character, uh, in a lengthy monologue in which he essentially uh, gets very equivocal about um, pedophilia. No, I think that, I mean, not only that, but like... John Malkovich's mm, right, character yeah. also, also explains feminism to her. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. Two characters who explain feminism to yeah, her. Yeah, that's like, basically the movie. It's an old man explaining <laughs> feminism to Chloe Grace Moretz. It, 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 I mean, it, she's 17. Like, it makes sense that she's coming into learning about it, but just, uh, like... It's so but, hard to think of what the intention of this movie is. Well, and especially when you have like Pamela Adlon in the wings, right? Right. Who, who, who can clearly who do ideally this. would be the person who is talking to China about like you know about the female experience and about philosophy and things like that. But um, but so in this scene, uh, after Rose Byrne goes in this lengthy monologue about how you know like oh well it's you know once you're sexually mature then why are you supposed to wait until you're eighteen? And then she's like, when I was fifteen, I had an affair with a man in his fifties. And then Louis Glenn says to her, you were raped. And she gets very, very angry. And she's like, how dare you say that to me? As if it had never occurred to her. As if, as if he, is, he is now explaining to her that she was raped. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, in her mind, she had never thought of it that way. But I actually really liked that scene. Did you? Because I feel like... With Roseburn's character, and also um, Roseburn's character had also slept with the John Malkovich character at some point, and 
remembers their relationship fairly fondly. Like she never has a bad thing to say about that guy. I actually really like that scene because I feel like it was a pretty interesting exploration of why a teenager would date like a senior citizen. Mm-hmm. And it was talking about it from like a teen's point of view, from the younger woman's point of view about like what she got out of it. And I think that that perspective is something that's missing. But I also think um, that was something that the movie doesn't really acknowledge about Woody Allen, at least, is the sort of like grooming nature of the a lot of those mm. type of like older yeah. men and younger women relationships. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of scenes where you can tell that John Malkovich's character doesn't really take uh, China very seriously no. um, as like a person or as an intellectual or really anything. Not even like sexually, which is a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was interesting that... I mean, at least, like, if this is supposed to be a satire or, like, a parody or a commentary on Woody Allen, one of the things that I think is really pernicious, especially about, like, Woody Allen's own romanticization of his characters and his movies, is that there's such a strong element of, like, shaping a woman the way that you would want her to be, Mm -hmm, and... mm -hmm that particular dynamic is completely elided. And I think like that particular grooming process is partly what's so gross about those relationships. Even in a relation, sorry, even in a movie like Annie Hall, which people love and very few people have negative things to say about, like to me that movie is about like Woody Allen's character taking Diane Keaton's character and being like, now let me like, why don't you like read the books that like I like mm-hmm, and watch the movies mm-hmm. that I like and therefore you can become my perfect woman. Right, and I've possibly never done more patronizingly than in Mighty Aphrodite, uh, which is a film that I still have a lot of fondness for just from when it came out and Mira Sorvino's Oscar-winning great performance. Um, but, you know, in which Woody Allen plays his actual, plays himself, and uh, in a sort of like a crude, slovenly hooker that he meets, uh, he gets to basically like, you know, do a My Fair Lady number on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, the point I was trying to make about the Rose Byrne thing is that Louis puts himself in a position where he's the one advocating for female safety uh, and explaining to Rose Byrne that she was like compromised. And, uh, and, 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 uh, and I think I agree with you that it's uh, a crucial perspective to have uh, from what, you know, what, why, do, why do teenage girls, uh, you know, choose to be with older men? And I think that um, it's something that happens, it's such a widespread uh, thing that I think a lot of people don't talk about. And I think because we all have to officially be very, like, against it and, and, and concerned about the legal consequences of it. But I think that, you know, um, sexual encounters uh, between adults and minors are are something, especially when you're teenagers, they're pretty common. And so I think that it was very good to have her do that. I just thought it was strange that... Louis C.K. put himself in the role of the mm. person who was explaining female safety to her and telling her that, you know, basically, tell, you know, explain to her, like, don't you even realize, you dumb bitch, that you would, <laughs> that you were raped by that man? Uh, so it was, it's just, to me, it was part of the whole pattern of the movie of all the male characters getting to explain, like, feminism and female safety. But I also 
don't know if which is paternalistic but i also don't know if we're supposed to see it as solely paternalistic as opposed to it's called i love a, you daddy let me just remind you of that real quick <laughs> let me just throw that back in there as opposed to like a judgment of like men who explain to young girls what feminism is supposed to be like i i don't think that that indictment is absent from the movie but i think they're mostly i feel like they're mostly vindicated I, I don't feel like they're shown to be wrong. I think that, uh, you know, it's. I, I was thinking that too. I'm like, okay, how is this going to shape out? Like, is he going to be in? Cause, you know, no, that's a good point. So it seems like they are not, they're not ultimately made to look like they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like ultimately they're fairly vindicated and that the issues that the movie thinks they have are have nothing to do with those pieces of it. And all these comparisons to Woody Allen movies, um, I fucking wish this was a Woody Allen movie. I, I found this movie so dull. Like, I I like the character that Woody Allen draws for himself. He's funny. He's exciting. He's His, his nervous energy is fun to watch. Where this Louis C.K., like, like doofy nothingness is so dull to me. But that's, um, like, his thing. Because his whole thing is, like, being dumbfounded. And being like, wait, like, what is this, like, new absurdity I'm supposed to contend with in my daily life now? Like, that's, like... That's like Louis in a fucking nutshell. Well, then maybe the the what surrounds him in this movie isn't quite uh, entertaining enough to to make that worth two hours of time. So I guess mm-hmm. if we can go to what is your relationship with Louis C.K. and his comedy at this well, point. And before we dive into that, I want to just make sure that we at least say what happens at the end of the movie. Mm. Um, uh, so just so you guys can all know how it ends, because you know, not that it ends with any sort of huge crescendo. Uh, it uh, it ends in a fairly um, in a way that like a Louis episode would end. Uh, but, uh, so, uh, China, China and Glenn have a really huge fight because, uh, Glenn decides that he, you know, he, he is, he's very uncomfortable with her relationship with, uh, with Leslie, with John Malkovich and tells her that, you know, she, uh, she can't be around him anymore. She's like, oh, fuck yourself. He throws her this huge, lavish surprise 18th birthday party. Um, after which she goes to Leslie's home and there's that this scene was very interesting mm-hmm. uh, she goes into this this I feel like it was probably John Malkovich's actual bedroom uh, <laughs> uh, very hilariously well appointed and exotic and uh, and she uh, she she walks in and she's wet because it started to rain and she like sits down next to him and basically it seems like tries to seduce him in a way uh, well eventually very aggressively by straddling him and he just is silent for this scene. And she's recounting for him um, what happened at the party. And then she talks about what she does in Florida. This is a recurring thing in the movie. There's a lot of concern over the kinds of partying she does when she goes to Florida. And on, on spring, spring break. break. On yeah. spring break. And um, and then there, there was a game referred to uh, uh, called Mother May I, uh, where a bunch of guys and girls line up naked. And then a woman in the middle who we heard earlier is usually the ugly one. Um, they have to ask, like, mother, may I, you know, touch that woman's boob? And then she's like, yes, but only if you lick that guy's ass. And then, so Louis was worried that China was playing this game, and it turns out that China was the one who had to play mother uh, in this game. And she just sits there on John Malkovich telling him the story, and he just stares back at her. And then you just see this thing move over her features where she's like, this is weird now. And then she just gets up and walks away, and he never says a word, and he just picks up his book and starts reading again. But I think what's relevant in that scene is that he, she is basically trying to get him, Like, it, the scene starts with her telling him, like, you know, like, let's go smoke pot. And he's like, no, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. And so basically, she's sort of trying to bring him into her more youthful world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... He, each at each point because she's sort of like asserting her own individuality he's like no mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. the scene ends with her 
trying to proposition him yeah. and then failing and then make and then being made to feel stupid mm. because she likes the things that she likes. Right. right. This um, is where like the relationship breaks down because she mm-hmm. doesn't, it isn't that grooming situation. He's not yeah. leading the conversation like he had before. Mm-hmm. She says things and then it doesn't work at all, yeah. which is. Uh, and so, and so that relationship falls apart and then she gets home and Glenn's waiting for her and they have a big fight. And then that relationship falls apart. We flash forward some time. There's the Emmys after party that Ingu referred to, uh, where it turns out that John Malkovich's character has gone into the TV, into the TV for the first time, and he's won this, you know, Emmys for this huge show. Meanwhile, Glenn's show never came together. That all fell apart. Uh, and then Pamela Adlon forces Glenn to uh, to run into by accident China at a department store where she's working as a makeup girl, and uh, and then they start to talk and patch things up, and that's it. And you have this like huge swell of music yeah. at the end, mm-hmm. which really, I mean, I mean it's funny because uh, my husband walked in as that scene was playing out and he was like, oh, did a bunch of like, did like a couple get into a coach and was like shuttled off by like a pack of white horses or something. <laughs> You're like, that was earlier in the movie, actually. <laughs> yeah, that did happen yeah, earlier it's funny. in the movie. Um, and I was like, no, it's actually literally just like a man making up with his daughter. And the fact that like that particular union is given such an epic score mm-hmm. uh, is sort of like why I was talking earlier about how, you know, this is a central relationship in his mm-hmm. life. Yeah. And, and it's about, you know, the movie is about the reason it's called I Love You, Daddy. Uh, is, you know, when we first see Chloe Gretzmeretz in the film and she's in the bikini and she's saying, I love you, daddy, I love you, daddy. And first of all, in that scene, it does feel like there's a weird sexual dynamic between father and daughter. Yes. Uh, the, 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 they really lean into the daddy usage. And then uh, and then Pamela Adlon uh, comes in and she's like, well, that's dangerous. Like, she she's way past the age she should be saying, I love you, daddy. And basically... That foresh- was one of the, my favorite parts of the movie. And basically foreshadows this breakdown of their relationship that's going to come as he, as he sort of manages the transition from the parent of a teen to the parent of a legal adult. And well, so... Yeah, she explains that, like, if your daughter is 17 and, and, and loves you and says she loves you, then, like, you're not doing your job. Yeah. Basically, you're not laying down the law. Yeah. Um, which is... I, it was, uh, there are two kinds of women in this movie. There are women who uh, get things done and are on top of everything, played by Edie Falco and uh, Pamela Adlon. Uh, they are correct. They are trying to make things happen. They are... But they are also dressed com- very up tightly they're ball busting they are um you know not at all seen in like any sort of light light and then there are the women that you fuck which is rose Byrne and chloe grace Moretz. so it's there's no sort of in between it's these two really stark groups of women in this movie which i found very uncomfortable so either the women who are telling you what to do or the women that you're trying to control or protect exactly yeah something that i have to also say that like I guess like it's part of the premise of the movie but doesn't ring true in the least is the fact that you see Helen Hunt the ex um Glenn's ex-wife I think like in one scene or two scenes scenes, one at the beginning one at the end and the fact that she would not play any role whatsoever in figuring out like what to do about China's relationship with right you wouldn't check in with her about Mm -hmm. that at any point right especially (laughs) as in her photos like in the press because we see there are oh, right. like paparazzi photos of China that are taken when she's on uh, on Leslie's boat that are like online now and still yeah the mother never comes back into play That's yeah that true. was very strange so let's do some around the room uh, final thoughts um, Ingu what do you think should this be released should people see it I mean like either like Louis the show already exists 
sense. And so it really feels redundant in a lot of ways. Um, I think it could serve as like a very nice like final chapter to sort of like cement everything. But otherwise, I don't really know how much value it has, if it has any value. I think that the depictions of uh, John Malkovich's character, the depth that he has and sort of uh, how Louis C.K. sees the, uh, like the complicated reality of like these teenage paramours who get into relationships with older men, like maybe that's worthwhile, but otherwise, like, I don't know, like it's not that great of a film. Um, a lot of the dialogue is like, eh, like a lot of the direction really is like, Mm -hmm. ah, a professional film critic. (laughs) You're like, I would normally just hit A on the keyboard (laughs) about a hundred times right here. And so, I don't know, like, eh, it doesn't feel like a super important cinematic contribution that we're losing out on. Yeah. Uh, I think that so this this movie did play a tiff and I didn't get to see it there this is the first time in four years of going to Toronto that I actually got turned away from a screening because it was just that packed the line to see this was around the block from the multiplex where they have the press screenings Uh, so I will never know what it means to watch this movie without knowing what we know and I think, you know, mm-hmm. so that's why I was trying to think when I was watching the movie, because, you know, watching it now with your knives out for him. Yeah, everything still everything looks bad. Um, but trying to watch it divorced from that perspective, um, whenever we were all very charitable uh, toward Louis C.K. Uh, and re- in a lot fairly revered him. Uh, I st- overly charitable. Overly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I still would have found it. I think it's indulgent. I think, it, I, you know, I agree that it, it feels like a two hour version of a Louis episode. Uh, which is not anything that the world needed. I do think it would have been interesting because this is a, the, you know com- the, the the conflict in the movie in terms of a person who is a fan of uh, of, a, of a you know a, a fan of someone's work and then they but they you know are confronted with the reality of that person's personal uh, sort of perversion uh, that person's uh, uh, sort of the complicating factors that make that person a problem. Uh, I think that this movie in some ways is like more of this moment than than, than it ever could have been uh, because these are conversations that we're all having um, as more and more and more and more and more and more people are, uh, you know, come forward and name names about, you know, about their uh, attackers. And so uh, so I think that in that way, it really does have something interesting to offer, but it just shows such a remarkable lack of foresight and self-awareness that Louis mm-hmm. C.K. would make this movie um, in which he's the innocent party contemplating the guilty acts of this great man, um, knowing at that same time that he himself is a great man who is guilty of terrible acts. And not only that, but I feel like, you know, there's still this reveration of the idea of male genius in the movie that never For really sure. goes away. You only really see one other female writer who is the one played by Edie Falco Mm -hmm. and she's like well what if we make like bad art like we had like a good run and the idea that like Glenn is just like like I don't even know if I can make bad art like that type of yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Louis, when you said that thing about an artist, there's even like a monologue about that when he's talking to Rose Byrne, where he was like, oh, it's because he's this like great artist and he like does an impression of him that like this is why people are supposed to, it's supposed to be okay. If, like if you're poor, you're, uh, what is it? If you're poor, you're a, a pedophile. And if mm-hmm. you're rich, you're not. Like, yeah. Um, so 
I would say that I think we've already kind of said it like this movie. I want this movie to be watched by like a group of psychologists. Um, and I want like I want the breakdown. I feel like this is exactly um, so weird. I feel like we looked at like police photos so that you don't have to. Um, it's it's so bizarre that you would have all of these like sound bites that are so relatable to his real life. And he made a whole movie. Um, with maybe some of these people who knew about these things. Like, I wonder if Charlie Day knew about this when he did this two-minute-long, like, fake jerking-off scene. Um, I feel bad for Edie Falco because she does an amazing job in this movie. She's mm -hmm. really amazing. Um, and that people will never get yeah. to see that. Every new actor who came up in the movie, we would just We're go, like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that the uh, Ingu, describing how, like, the most well-written, complicated character is the accused uh, sexual predator is also creepy as fuck um i think that there really is i think this movie was incredibly uncomfortable and very boring and i don't think everyone should ever see it i'm just gonna go real real hard on this one <laughs> I, 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 when we were watching i kept wanting to like take videos of it to post to instagram like this it's an actual moment like there's a scene where louis ck tells Edie, Fal Edie falco uh, he's like i apologize to oh. all women just on, on, on behalf of all women just tell them i'm sorry i'm sorry and I'm like, oh my god, this, this is movie. like the, this is the mind of um, an incredibly. Uh, yeah. He apologizes probably 25 to 30 times over the course of the movie, so he had stuff on his mind. I'm sorry, Daddy. <laughs> oh God. Uh, well, Daddy, sorry. Ingu, thank oh. you, thank you so much for joining <laughs> thank us. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, where can me. our listeners find you? On the internet, just Google my name. There are very few people with my. How name. do you spell it? <laughs> it's i-n-k-o-o -O space k-a-n-g thank you and that's it for us thank you so much for listening to the binge you can uh, subscribe to us on itunes or wherever you get your podcast jason is on twitter at excess faggage ingu you're on twitter at ingu kang and i am uh fight balance thank you so much for listening bye guys bye bye ciao Binging on movies with rebecca and jason you made it to the end that's amazing there goes the binge! binge.